Uh, Romans chapter 8, if you have a Bible. And we're going to read from verse 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are saved, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Great, well that's our passage. We're not going to try and look at all of it because it's absolutely loaded um, and we'd never get through it all. But our, um, our frig ma- fridge magnet verse, I'm struggling to say that, am I? Our fridge magnet verse is verse 28. Uh, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. Uh, a really great verse, but often slightly misunderstood, and we're going to just spend a bit of time thinking about that together now. I guess as you look at um, that list that we've drawn up there on, on the, the board, one of the reasons we most struggle and have a fear of the future is because the future contains so many unknowns. Um, I think what Cathy just mentioned actually is key. There's just so much stuff that we are not in control of. And I guess one of the reasons why the future is so scary is because we're not actually in control of the future, which is difficult for us to grasp. I'm going to come and think about that a little later on. There's so many things I want to know now. I want to know that I will be healthy in old age, and many of you have spoken of that. I want to know that I'm going to have enough money to provide for my family for the rest of my life. Uh, right now, I want to know where I'm going to be the rest of my life. Is this the right place for us, and are we going to settle here, and are we going to serve God here for a long time, or is he going to have plans for us to be somewhere else? Um, I don't know. I just want to know the future, because if I know the future, I can kind of make plans, and I can map it all out. And I guess that's sometimes the way that we feel, isn't it? We want to know the future, because it gives us a sense of control that we otherwise don't have. 
Um, but actually, as you look at that board and you think about your fears of the future, we're really not in control. And there's so much that we don't know. Which is surprising, because in Romans, uh, for the sixth time, if you look at verse 28, you get that phrase at the beginning, and we know. That's the sixth time in Romans that that phrase has come up. And so you kind of thinking, well, what do we know? Because there's so much stuff out there that I don't know. Much of it which leads to me being fearful of the future. But of all the things that God hasn't made clear to us, perhaps all the answers to the questions I have that God may not give me, there is certain things that he has given me. And there are certain things that he does want me to know. And we're going to look at this passage together because there's one truth particularly that he wants us to know, to have confidence in, which will help us as we face fears of the future. And so in our sort of fragility, as we're worried and anxious about the future, this is the truth we need to cling to to help us through. Learning this truth isn't like we're going to download this and suddenly these fears are going to disappear. These are very real and this is very human experience. But we need to approach these issues with the perspective that I hope and pray this verse will give us. So we're going to have a look at it uh, together. just want to look at five truths. Um, just by breaking verse 28 down into its different statements, just unpack the five truths because if we can understand this verse, uh, I think it will really help us as we face fears of the future. They're going to come up on the screen. Um, there they are. Uh, they're very obvious. I don't, I'm not particularly going to say anything particularly profound tonight in many ways. I just want to unpack very simple truths that this verse unpacks. But here's the first one. Uh, Paul makes it clear that God works. God is at work in his world. Um, some people are what are called deists. They believe in the existence of God, but they think and feel that God is very removed. Um, he's not really involved in our life. He's not interested. He's pretty uncaring. So deists believe that God kind of wound up the clock and then set it in motion, and the earth just sort of playing out now, and God's just removed himself and says, we'll get on with it, and I'll come and pick up the pieces at the end. So Deus had this view that God's very distant and not involved in our world. But Paul makes it very clear that God is at work. In all things, God works. God is involved in our world. It's one of the reasons why our doctrine, our understanding of creation matters so much. You know, if you turn back to Genesis, there are two accounts in chapter 1 and 2 of creation. The first account very much focuses on God being the creator. And God said, and God said, and God said. The second account is all about relationship. There's a relationship between God and the people he had made. And you read the two accounts side by side and that becomes really clear. God is at work in his world. He's a deeply relational God and he deeply cares about you and about me. And although it's a very simple truth, it's one that is really worth clinging to. God is a God who works. Second thing we're going to look at. God works for good, and this is perhaps one of the hardest bits. If we get this, it will help us unlock the real truth of this passage. The problem with the words like good here is that we then think about all the things in the world that we think are good and kind of import them into this verse. So I think, when I think of good, I think of um, joy, pleasure, comfort, all these sort of things that I feel uh, I need, health, some of the things that we're worried about here. And we take those things and we say, well, this verse says that in all things God works for good. Well, really? Because I'm not healthy, or I don't really feel in control, or I'm not really finding life very pleasurable. And yet God said in all things he works for good, really? But the interesting thing is, the problem we have when we come to this verse is that we bring with our, us all the baggage from our culture. Uh, and our culture is a big focus on pleasure, 
there's a big focus on comfort. I think there's an increasingly big focus on immediacy. Whatever I want, I want it now, because the world's becoming more and more instant. And all that, I suppose, brings us to a place where we want to be in control, which is where we started. We realised we weren't in control. But often we come into thinking about this verse, and we, we really think that we are in control. And we look at this verse and say, I can't see how God could ever be doing something that's good. But that's where reading this verse in its wider context is absolutely crucial. And it's a great lesson just here. Don't ever read a verse in isolation. Just take it out and say, there's the verse, and hang it up here. You need to read this verse in light of what's come before and what will come after, because that will unlock the truth. And the amazing thing is, we're not going to look at it, but if you went on to chapter 9, this is an amazing chapter in Romans where the sovereignty of God, which means God is in complete control of everything, and can do anything because he's Lord. That's what the sovereignty means. Chapter 9 is all about the sovereignty of God. And that provides a really important context for then understanding what he means here, Paul, when he says, in all things God works for good. Now we can imagine I took a little snapshot photo of us here. Boom, there it is. If that's us here today, we kind of interpret everything that's going on around us by what's in front of us, this snapshot. Sure, I might have a bit of what's behind us informing and helping us interpret what's in front of us, but that's all we see. We can't see everything else, and we certainly can't see into the future. None of us have that ability. So when we go through different experiences, or perhaps when we're thinking about the future, all we can see really is what's in front of us. That's all we can see. But think about God. How completely different is it with God? Because he sees this little snapshot here, but he also sees everything behind us, and yet he sees it perfectly, in a way that we see it imperfectly. He interprets it perfectly. So he's got all of that perspective that we don't have. There's our snapshot. He also sees everything that way. In a particular moment of time, he sees everything, and everything that way. So he's got a much broader perspective than us. And he also, and this is the most amazing thing, sees everything ahead of us. So, in our moments of weakness when we're struggling, perhaps we're fearful of something in the future, all we can see is what's in front of us. But God has this kind of perspective, a depth to his understanding, because he sees everything that we can never have. And that is really crucial to grasp, because so often we'll go through experience in our life, particularly as we face fears of the future, and we just won't be able to see a way through. But God kind of steps right back, because he sees it all. And he knows exactly the way through because he's Lord and that, that's a really important thing to grasp time is a real threat to us isn't it the world's speeding up all the time and time is a real threat because I've got no control over time um, I don't see everything I definitely can't control everything but it's amazing to think that these aren't limitations that God has he sees everything perfectly all the time he sees the depth that we never see. He understands everything perfectly. He can interpret everything perfectly. And that's a real challenge to us. But this is why his idea of what is good and our idea of what is good may be completely different. And that's why reading verse 28 in light of the verse 29 that follows is absolutely key. Because when Paul says, in all things God works for good, good there isn't our comfort, our pleasure, our control. Good is, look at verse 29, to be conformed into the image of his son. That's why this is a fridge magnet verse that's often misunderstood. 
good there is very clearly about becoming more like Jesus. Now that's a difficult truth for us to grasp, but one Christian writer described it as saying it's the difference between good, how I perceive good, and what this writer calls final good or true good. Now I've got some perception of what is good because I made an image of God, but not perfect perception, but God is truly good and he has a perfect perception of what is good. So the good that is written of in Romans 8.28 is true good, not my understanding of good, which is often going to be pleasure, comfort, control. God sees a lot more than I do. And the really difficult truth, and this is something we have to grapple with, perhaps we have to take this away and pray through. God won't always give us what we want. And we may not always understand why we're living through a situation that we are living through. And we certainly won't always like it. His good certainly won't always promote our comfort. But it's still good in the true sense of good. And I don't say that flippantly because I know some people face real hard heartaches in their life, really ongoing difficulties. Some of the ones you've mentioned now I think I guess will be an expression of what things you're going through now. People who've lived through long periods of illness or massive periods of suffering or huge financial worries about the future. So that, that's why we mustn't come to this verse and just import our understanding of good. God has a perspective that's far bigger. He says my good for you ultimately is that you become more like Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thing. Good, well, God works. He's not uninvolved in our world. He's intimately interested in our world. He works for good, but that's true good, not necessarily comfort. The third truth that he speaks of in this verse is he works in all things. That's why, again, our, our doctrine, our understanding of creation is so key. God is really interested in our life. He works in all things. It's not like he's only interested in now when we've gathered in church and then he doesn't really care how we live the rest of our life. He's interested in everything. In all things, God works for good. Uh, he sees everything and he's in complete control of everything. And just to grasp the truth of this, just have a look at the wider context. Go back to look at verse 17. The context where Paul is able to write, in all things God works for good, he speaks of suffering, verse 17. He speaks in verse 23 of groaning. But here's the truth. Suffering and fear of the future isn't a sign that God has lost control. Just have a look at verse 20. Very powerful verse. The creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. See, suffering isn't a sign that God has lost control. Suffering is just something difficult that God allows in a broken world. Because of verse 21, have a look. Because one day God will bring it all to an end. There's a hope of the glorious freedom of the children of God. Suffering isn't a sign that God has lost control and our fears of the future aren't a sign he's lost control. We have to trust him through them and that can be incredibly difficult. And sometimes we ask that big question, why? As you face fears of the future, you might ask that big question, why? And the difficult truth we have as Christians is sometimes God doesn't give an answer to that question. He doesn't. But do you notice the verse doesn't say, we know all things. I want to have answers to all my questions. I want answers to all my fears so I have complete control of the future. He doesn't give us answers 
we don't know all things but it does say that in all things God is at work there's a very big difference in all things God is at work uh, again I don't say that flippantly I had a friend I was at school with whose father was struggling with cancer it left them as a family with great fears of the future and the father got worse and worse and eventually committed suicide the daughter the sister of my friend uh, she was very very unwell she went through a long period of mental health and then she took her own life and two years later her mother, his mother died of cancer that's a horrendous and quite extreme example here's a guy though who lost all faith in God at that point now I can't stand here and judge him and be critical of that I have no idea what he's going through you know sometimes we just have to grieve with people like that when we can't explain and give an answer why but for every story like that where you see someone very sadly turning away from God because of the fears of the future and suffering you also do see stories don't you of people who testify to the goodness of God through their fears and I've been greatly humbled coming to this church and speaking to some of you and hearing a little of your story where that has been true and it's a great encouragement it's amazing that sometimes we can be brought near to God through our fears and so we need to trust that this truth is true that in all things God is at work and that's hard but again remember the snapshot this is all I can see but God sees all of this and all of this so there's a perspective on whatever we're going through whatever our fear is that he has that we don't have that's why we can trust him God works for good in all things there's a lovely little phrase in the middle those who love him one of the amazing things about this uh, verse is that it's a promise for believers uh, we've seen uh, who the believers are in verse 30 it talks about those who have been called uh, and Neil unpacked that in that first Ephesians talk in the morning a few weeks ago but it's an amazing privilege that a Christian believer has that this promise is true for you that in all things God works for your good because if you think about it God can't really work in a person's life who hasn't surrendered their life to him God works in a person's life to bring them to faith but until we surrender our life to him we're not going to have the perspective to even begin to think about what could God be teaching me in this because God's not in our life but it's an incredible privilege as a Christian that God is at work for good in your life for those who love him again sometimes you have to step back from our fears of the future and whatever it is that we're worried about and just thank God for the wonderful privilege we have that he is at work in our life in the lives of those he loves uh, and one of the great privileges and delights he has is making you more like Jesus Christ day by day and he does that through the joys of your life and he does it through the struggles of your life he does it through the things that you are, feel comfort in and feel safe in and he does it too through your fears uh, if you just look at this list I'm not going to ask you now, but perhaps you can think, well, that's me, that's what I'm scared of. God has taught me so much through that fear already. He's held me, he's loved me. He's taught me through others who've helped me through that difficulty. And when you begin to build that picture, you build a picture of a God who loves you and is at work in your life. God works for good in all things for those who love him, and the final phrase there for those who've been called according to his purpose uh, often I've heard this illustration you know kind of um, someone who does needlework or tapestry kind of work on the one side it's just a complete and utter mess isn't it there's thread everywhere it's sticking out you, you can't make head or tail of what it is 
And often that's the perception we have of our life. We see our life and it's just a mess. How could God possibly be good in whatever I'm going through? I'm facing real, real fear of the future and I just can't see a way forward. But you turn the tapestry or the needlework over and you see the most amazing picture. God, the great needleworker, is working through every situation in life, through the mess that we perceive, and he's making us more like Jesus. And he's growing us to understand and trust him more. Uh, one Christian writer said this, To have faith in Jesus doesn't mean we try to pretend that bad things aren't really good. Sorry, bad things are really good. Rather, we know that God will take our difficulties and weave them into purposes we cannot yet see. And when it's done, the day will be more glorious for our having gone through the difficulties. Now that's a difficult truth to grasp, but it's a very profound one. Those who've been called according to his purpose. And you're talking there of the purposes of the creator of the world, who is in complete and utter control of whatever it is that you're struggling with whatever you go through, whatever fear of the future you have, he has a purpose for your life because he's called you. Then if you notice in this uh, little passage we had read, three times that word hope comes up. Look at verse 21 and verse 24 and verse 25. Now this word hope, when you read it in the scriptures, isn't hope as we often think, kind of um, a wishful thinking. I hope one day that I might be given this present. Uh, I hope one day. Hope in the scriptures is something that far, goes far deeper. Uh, it's hope in the sense of it's not yet fully realized, but it's completely certain. And when Paul speaks of hope, he says it's, it's true, it's a hope, and it's so deeply planted in the ground because of who the hope is in, that I can be completely secure of it, but it's not yet mine. And that's the sort of hope that he's speaking of here. And it's because of that hope that Paul speaks of that we can have complete and utter confidence that God has a purpose in our life, particularly through the fears of the future that we face. So as we come to an end, I just want to leave with three applications for us about what it means to believe in Jesus, because these are really important truths for us that will help us as we move forward and think about facing whatever fear it is that you may have to cope with tonight, or in the weeks ahead, or in the years ahead. And it's just three very simple truths. The first one is, to believe in Jesus means a response to him. See, belief in Jesus isn't just a kind of mental assent, oh, I believe he exists. It's much more a kind of total ongoing reliance in him. Um, see, I could, I could believe that eating green vegetables are good for me. And I could believe that all of my life, some of the teenagers are nodding, I could believe it, I really could. But I could believe that all of my life and never eat a green vegetable. And it's never going to do me any good. See, there's a big difference between believing that green vegetables are good for me and actually accepting that they're good for me and eating them. And then I see the benefit. Belief in Jesus isn't just mental assent to who he is. It's actually a response. And that means that to follow him, particularly through our fears of the future, means that we have to actually act. We have to respond to him. We have to trust him. Second thing, to believe in Jesus means that we need to trust him when we can't see. And again, that's really hard. Here's my little snapshot, that's all I see, but he sees all of this. To believe in him means to trust him when I can't see. 
I think it's amazing whenever you look at the word faith in the Bible the emphasis is always on the object of faith that means what you put your trust in not in the subjective experience of trusting that doesn't mean that you do not experience assurance that you don't experience God of course it doesn't mean that but it means we can't always trust our experiences but we can trust objective truth of who God is and whenever faith is unpacked in the Bible it's always in the sense of who your faith is in not in what you see and that's really important I love the verse which will come up on the screen from Isaiah chapter 55 God says through the prophet Isaiah for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts that's an amazing truth it'd be a great verse to go back and have a look at this week Isaiah chapter 55 but it just reminds us that we can trust in the gods when we have fears of the future when we don't know what's going to happen because he's a good God and he is in complete control and that brings us to our third application I'm not going to talk about this one we're just going to spend some time praying about it but I think really getting at the very root of our fears of the future is our desire to be in control but to believe in Jesus means to surrender our control and that's the thing that's been getting in my heart all week with the things that I'm scared of in the future because I have to give them over to God it's not let go and let God I'm not involved but I have to trust him I have to give them to him and say you are a good God you are at work in your world for good, true good in all things in those you love who've been called according to your purpose that's a difficult truth but maybe you just want to take some time in the quiet of your own heart before we sing and reaffirm our trust in God just to think quietly about what it means to you to surrender control surrender control of whatever it is that you're scared of in the future I don't want to rush this time so why don't you just take this moment of quiet and cry out to God in whatever way you need to so Heavenly Father we do thank you for these moments of quiet in the busyness of our lives where we've been able to slow down and we do commit to you each of these fears we've identified and others that are playing on our hearts we pray that we would trust you in them that we would respond to you that we would trust you even when we cannot see and that we would surrender control to you a loving God a wise God who promises in all things to work together for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose Amen Let's close now in prayer Lord we do thank you that we can go into this week now not knowing what's going to happen in our lives uh, not just this week but even in weeks and months and years ahead so if we do go into the week trusting in you we go ahead walking by faith not by sight and we go into this week knowing that in all things that you work for the good of those who love you who've been called 
according to your purpose. So Lord, with that uh, great knowledge, that great truth, we do pray that you will go before us and uh, fill us with um, your assurance and remove any fears that we may have. In Jesus' name. Amen.